so I'm 27 now. Only in sure. the past two years have I truly felt that I've really become authentic with who I am as myself, the confidence that I've built and who I am. Because I think when you're being inauthentic to yourself, you are actually spending more energy in situations that are more detrimental to you in the long term. Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. For the episode this week, I talked to Tara, who is the host of her own podcast, Adopted Babies from China. Now, we met through the podcasting community on Instagram and thought it would be really cool if we did sort of a collaboration. So on her show earlier this week, I believe, a couple days ago, she put out an episode where I am the guest and she interviews me. We talk about a bunch of different stuff. I go over a little bit more of my own adoption history. So if you're curious, show Tara's podcast some love and head on over there and check it out. For today's episode on this podcast, Tara and I talk about a lot of things. Uh, We touch on heritage and culture and the role that that can play in your adult life or throughout life, I guess, and what it's what it's like when you either kind of embrace the heritage and culture from the country you were adopted from versus when you don't and what those kinds of paths look like. We also talk about emotional development and what it can be like when maybe you're not so in tune with what's going on emotionally at different developmental stages in relation to your identity. So, you know, that could look like uh, you feel insecure in high school, but you're not sure why because you're not in tune with your emotions and you don't realize that that insecurity is actually coming from uh, feelings of not belonging that are connected to your abandonment or your adoption just as an example. We also cover uh, being, you know, quote-unquote sort of the first wave of at least Chinese adoptees that are coming of age in America and what that's like and how, you know, knowing that, you know, you're kind of the first generation of something can be empowering and motivating to speak out. One of my favorite parts of the conversation we had that you'll hear in a moment is the discussion around doing things as adults that you hated when adults did to you when you were a kid. Uh, That was a fun conversation. Anyways, don't forget to go check out Tara's podcast, Adopted Babies from China, and my episode that I did on her show, I think from Monday a few days ago. Without further ado, here's the episode. 
Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming back to the show. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Tara, who is the host of the Adopted Babies from China podcast. She currently lives in New York City, freelancing in marketing and photography. And to stay sane in COVID, she likes going for runs. Hi, Tara. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. So I kind of like to ask all my guests just to get started why you were interested in coming on my podcast and being a guest and why in general is talking about adoption important to you? Yes, I was really interested to learn more about your podcast because entering into the adoptee conversation, adoption conversation, I should say, I, I believe your podcast has a lot of a focus with self-love and really thinking about the positive side of adoption too. Of course, there's all the tougher parts that in addition to adoption, but life brings you. But I know with your podcast, there's a big emphasis on sort of looking at like the, the positive side. And the second part of your question, entering into the conversation about adoption really became a way to sort of help me understand myself as I'm getting a little bit older. And also it's an opportunity that I wasn't able to really discover when I was younger. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you for saying that my you know podcast focuses on positivity. That's, that's nice. I feel like that's because uh, my adoption story is really positive. Um, I, as you said, adoption as well as just life in general can pile on the hardships and it can be tough. Why don't you share a little bit about your podcast? Do you feel like in contrast, yours kind of focuses a little bit more on the different hardships that come with adoption or just, or not really? Hmm. I, I don't, I want to say it doesn't really focus on the hardships either. I would say the podcast Adopted Babies from China really is more of an avenue or another resource for Chinese adoptees, mostly, mostly Chinese adoptees, just to hear one another's perspectives and stories and things they're doing in their life. So I ideally usually enjoy interviewing or speaking with adoptees and other people who adoption has been a part of their life too, especially Chinese adoptees, of course, who are adults, so 18 mm -hmm. and older. And I have found with this podcast, it really is sort of like an archive and I mirrored it or took influence inspired by, <laughs> inspired <laughs> by a lot of interviewing narrative storytelling podcasts. Mm. So I do always ask about their adoption story. And based on that question, you sometimes get very similar responses in the way that they answer or respond to the question. And then I usually try to find something unique to them or something in their experience, whether it be related to work or family or something they really enjoy to do. Or, and so, or something they really enjoy doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, no, I got you. Yeah, you, you know, it's like, it's sometimes you're talking and that's not English, but <laughs> it works. So yes, and I always like to, the way I've shared the podcast has definitely been, it's more of an archive sort of. Mm -hmm. My way of getting through COVID in addition to running and also a way to help me understand more about myself and other people who experience 
the craziness of being a Chinese adoptee or a transracial adoptee too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You mentioned um, that it, you know, your pod through your podcast, you really discovered a lot about yourself and it's helped you focus on your own identity as a person, as an adoptee. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, where are you at right now in terms of your adoptee identity? Mm-hmm. I would say the podcast and speaking with adoptees like yourself too has really shown the diversity of the type of people even within the adoption community mm-hmm. too. And beyond, I would say beyond even just Chinese adoptees, I've been able to speak with other transracial adoptees of different cultural backgrounds and then a lot of domestic adoptees. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of helping me grow in the sense that there's a comfort of knowing, oh, sorry. That's that. okay. <laughs> the noise. <laughs> uh, I I feel there's a sense of knowing that you're not alone and that's always a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. And then within my own journey, I feel that I am sort of at a plateau now that mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily acting more upon what I could do if I wanted to, as far as connecting more with a search per se, or, Mm -hmm. well, I guess that's kind of a lie, because I am connecting more with the Chinese cultural aspect with the language, and then the joke is a little bit, and it's funny that I was talking to Asian American friends too mm-hmm. about this. That's the other thing I've connected a lot with Asian Americans too. So outside of adoptees, so there's like the two sides of it. You have the connecting with adoptees of all different types of backgrounds, mm-hmm. and then also connecting on the Chinese cultural side and Asian side of connecting in that cultural sense and meeting friends, making friends, forming friendships with <laughs> Chinese individuals who who came here to study. Mm-hmm. And being able to speak Mandarin a little bit. Mm. And then also, I feel like I'm just acquiring some customs of, uh, I love drinking hot water before bed, mm-hmm. usually in the morning and before bed. Didn't really do that as much growing up, but it's become like a habit. And I, mm-hmm. I've been told that's a very Chinese specific characteristic. Mm-hmm. It would mm-hmm. seem that way. Yeah, that's what yeah. I've heard as well. Yes. Understanding more on the cultural side, I do feel like I'm growing in that sense and I'm Mm -hmm. sure I'll continue to grow. And then adoption specific with connecting to a birth family or that pathway, I feel like I'm at that standstill. And I I think I've been there for a while. It hasn't really been for me personally that I want to search for parents. Mm -hmm. Got it. I... Totally understand. I don't feel like I have really had any, any much desire for, you know, the birth family search or anything. And I would say that's pretty, that's more or less been steady for, you know, my whole life or at least all of my Mm -hmm. adult life. Although I will say this podcast has probably piqued the most interest I've ever had Mm. in going down that road and, you know, even, even like daydreaming or theorizing hypothetically, like, oh, what would happen if I, you know, fill in the blank, which I didn't used to do before. So, uh, that's maybe something, maybe not, but I definitely feel you. It's, it's, 
it's mostly plateaued. It's really remains unchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like though your connection to the Chinese cultural things like drinking hot water, for example, um, were absent during your childhood? You mentioned you were a transracial adoptee where both your parents white. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I also have, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I was just going to, connect that back do you feel like they didn't really make an effort not in any blame sort of way but Mm -hmm. was there no effort there really to incorporate more Chinese culture in your life or do you feel like that was they tried to and it just wasn't for you at the time hmm it's a tough question because I've been thinking about this a lot recently Mm. I would say because actually, yes, both my parents are indeed white and I had two older brothers who are also white uh, mm-hmm. biological sons. And then okay. I came to the family and I would say that my father definitely encouraged, emphasized a lot of the cultural aspect of Chinese heritage because with my dad, he actually started studying Mandarin when around the time they were adopting me. Oh, wow. So it has been 20 years, a little bit over 20 years now that he started studying. So he was connected to the culture and he would travel back to China, I believe almost every year or every other year, of course, 2020, the exception as always. Yep. And in that sense, he would bring back items from China. And he also made a couple of friendships or formed friendships with Chinese individuals as well in mainland China and also in Hong Kong and Taiwan. Not to bring up the political aspect of everything going on, but there's that, I just wanted to distinguish it. Yeah. And so in that sense, I think he did have that influence and it did share with me or showed, showed me. And I agree with what you were saying earlier that when I was younger, I was not necessarily as receptive. Mm. And then the other half of it too, I feel like my mom tried to incorporate a little bit of the Chinese heritage. So she did take me to dance classes for Chinese dance, traditional mm-hmm. Chinese dance, except in conversation, it didn't seem to really be as open, even with my dad too. And this is sort mm-hmm. of something that I've been thinking about recently, especially because of 2020. Yeah. The conversation about being Chinese and being adopted felt like I personally couldn't really open up that dialogue with my parents as much mm-hmm. as I would want to now. Yeah. And I would say, this is backtracking a little bit, but I would say having the podcasts and listening to other podcasts for adoptees too, and hearing about the conversations where people are able to speak so openly with their parents, I have to admit that I'm a little bit, I'm definitely jealous about it because mm. I personally don't feel like I've had that. So I almost feel like I'm like an imposter in a way that I'm doing mm. this podcast about Chinese adoptees. And then I don't even really talk about it with my parents. <laughs> so, oh shoot. I don't know if I finished answering your question. No, no, you did. Culture. Okay. Yeah. 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 You, yeah, no, it was about, you know, did you feel like you were exposed to Chinese culture earlier and you just weren't interested? Um, and I, it sounds like the answer is yes, but also no, because mm-hmm. had you, And if you had had any questions or interests in kind of exploring that more, you might not have felt comfortable bringing it up to your parents. Yeah. 
And I think Mm -hmm. speaking to that, like, even as you said, you know, you having a podcast about adopt Chinese adoption and being an imposter, I don't think that's true at all. If anything, I think, you know, your podcast is, you know, a kind of healthy surrogacy for those conversations. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the lack of ability to bring up being Chinese adopted into a white family made it harder for you to figure out what your identity was? Yes, I would say it wasn't necessarily the physical act, physical characteristics that I struggled with. It was more the emotional development and understanding what my purpose is and what to do in the, in the world as we're here. And at that young age, it was very tough. And I usually was more influenced by peers or people outside of me. Mm. And then growing up, and I would say I'm facing this even now, it's, I'm very much aware I'm still Chinese. And I even went through some very physical characteristic changes in my appearance. Mm-hmm. Meaning I, I say that like, well, actually, when I was really young, I had a surgery to repair my cleft palate or cleft lip. So there's that too. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of, that, that was a physical change before I was aware about it. And then, yeah in the past two years, my hair went from black to gray, silver, white. Uh, Well, I think the gray, silver hair situation is very cool. Do you know why you were adopted? I, well, based on what I'm told, it is because (laughs) it's always like, not that I question it too much, but based on what I was told by my parents is they had two sons. And Mm -hmm. of course it's a 50, 50 chance for having a girl in your uh as your third try (laughs) yeah and I believe it was sort of it's tough to really say because I feel like I've heard kind of variations of this depending Mm -hmm. on what age I asked or what happened and I haven't really had this conversation too it's kind of going back earlier with having these really open conversations right with my parents because between having this conversation with my dad was very different from having this conversation with my mom. I'm sure. So I think in general, I think I kind of know why I was adopted, but I think there are much more than meets the eye. Hmm. I'm hoping at some point I can have more of an open conversation. Yeah. It'd be ideally both my parents together and not necessarily just separate. (laughs) Yeah. Did you feel like your uh, brothers were easier to talk to about your adoption, your family, how your family came together. If you ever had a question, were they good support systems for you or not so much? Not so much. <laughs> it's like, Got it. Yeah, Heard. not so much. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. So moving, well, you mentioned that you were adopted when you were four. Mm-hmm. Do you, what else do, what else do you know about your situation before you were adopted? I would say I, the only things I know would be from pictures, which I, mm-hmm. somebody was asking this today, actually, if I, there's a photo of me as a newborn and I don't believe there is. And I don't believe I have a birth certificate either. Mm. I do have a note that I actually rediscovered many years later. Wow of my birthday, which is pretty cool. I was like, this is really neat. 
So things that I know about before I was adopted are all in physical proof or evidence. Okay. Wow. So the, the cleft lip, cleft lip. Yes. The cleft lip, like the, if you see a picture of me or anything, it's like, you can tell that there was a, a surgery or a repair mm-hmm. on my cleft lip. Like it's very clear. Yeah. And yeah, before that, it's so funny though, because of the masks, people don't know that. That's true. I, I know this is not at all related to what you're asking, but it's just kind of funny that it's like, I'm just like every other, well, I mean, no, I'm not. We're all very different in our own ways, of course, but the cleft lip repair was sort of a distinguishing characteristic about me that people would recognize me because of my cleft lip repair. Mm -hmm. And now, now I, now it's like people recognizing me because of my distinguished hair color, as I said. (laughs) So now I'm wondering like when we're allowed to go about in the world without masks, people are going to now remember me for my distinguished hair color and my cleft lip. I was like, yeah, guess you can't miss me. (laughs) There was someone else I interviewed who had had a, I think a physical, uh, their words were birth defect. And that mm. was in their mind, the reason why they were put up for adoption. Oh. You feel like the reason that you were put up for adoption is because you were born with a cleft lip. I would definitely say that's probably a part of it. I, I, mm-hmm. I want to, on the optimistic side, I want to say that's not the whole part of it, but right. I do I think I, do think it probably is a part of it Mm. and I also something just sort of instinctively tells me that it uh, there must be like more to it for sure yeah I'm guessing well definitely being a girl definitely being a girl (laughs) at least in China yes definitely being I guess being a girl having the cleft lip and were you were you um born I mean, probably, but were you born in like the one child policy era? Yes, I am born in 93. Okay. Yeah. Same. So probably that too. Oh, really? You're born in 93 as well? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what they say. I don't have uh, a note that says my birthday, so I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like, are I you actually- born, but, um, but you know, on the birth certificate that my parents filled out when they adopted me, it says, 1993. Okay. Uh, so, but I, but I was adopted at what they guessed was six months. So mm. you were a lot older than, than I, than I was when mm. I was adopted. Do, um, do you feel like you're older or does it? Do I do. Feel- it's so funny. You ask that my whole life. I, well, I'm an only child and I don't know if that makes mm. me feel older because I didn't have siblings to like have peers that were my own age. I basically felt like I hung out with all my parents' friends uh, all the time. And so I don't know if that made me in my head, you know, like make me think I was older and, you know, more mature or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have always felt like I was older. I've always felt like I was two-ish years older. You were adopted- I think early in that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I've heard. I heard that, you know, from, from like 
90 to 93 was like the earliest or even after 90 because I don't think China was open to adopt like international adoptions at that point Mm -hmm. um it had only been like a year or two years uh that adoptions were allowed like internationally in China so yeah if if you're born in 93 then you're definitely one of the I don't know I'm doing air quotes like first generation yeah. of a Chinese of adoptees the, or something. Yeah. It's yeah, I was like a, born in 93 but it was only it was 98 when I was adopted. So it was like older even. Uh, but still okay. early. It's yeah. like yeah, I'm older but I was still early. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. I know. It's uh it's interesting you brought that up cuz I'm thinking about this too. I I think we're we're in that time where we're getting into that time where Everybody who is a result of the one-child policy, mm-hmm. a lot of adoptee children, men, women, and all different types of people, we are now speaking about it or we're mm-hmm. talking about our experience, right? I feel like, at least compared to, uh, say, 10 years ago, adoption is more normalized now than mm-hmm. it was then. You know, like nowadays, I feel like it's way more normal to see a multicultural family mm. um you know just out and about and it doesn't matter if you're if they're multicultural because they adopted or not they could just be multicultural because that's what they are yeah um but just the image of seeing non all white families um is so common now and mm. like i was literally just watching tv yesterday and thinking when I was watching, you know, the ads, I don't think there's an ad, like there are many ads on TV anymore that don't have interracial couples or, or multiracial families in them because that has in some ways become the norm. Mm. And I, I feel like this is related and I hopefully I won't get in trouble for this, but it, I almost feel guilty, like I've contributed to that too, because it was even, ironically, I was on a run back in May 2020, mm. and I ran by and there was a Chinese girl, mm-hmm. I think she was maybe eight, nine, with a white mom. And I stopped running to look because I was appreciating the fact, like, I'm pretty confident that little girl is Chinese, mm-hmm. and that's her mother. At the same time, of appreciating it too there was also brought back to the memories of when i don't know maybe when like, you were younger if you experienced this too or other transracial adoptees in general it's like this whole idea of the focus on having a white parent with a chinese kid or mm-hmm. other other ethnicity or other race child mm-hmm. that people just stop and stare and i don't know if that's still prevalent today but i feel like it is i mean like i personally feel guilty because i have done it myself and i mm-hmm. did do it that day mm-hmm. and that was only may 2020 definitely the whole staring thing happened mm-hmm. all the time and i because i grew up feeling so white i just didn't appreciate people staring in the way that they as that you explained because Mm -hmm. I felt like they were inserting difference where there wasn't any Mm -hmm. um by doing that but then but now as an adult 
as I mentioned, I don't go running, but if I did, (laughs) I'm sure that if I was out and saw what I'm, what I would be as sure as I could be, would be a Chinese girl adopted with her adoptive parents who were white. You know, I, I, I don't know if I'd stop, but I would definitely look Mm -hmm. um, because it's something familiar. Yeah. You know, which is funny now that I'm saying it out loud because I'm acknowledging through saying it's familiar, the thing I had wished other people would not acknowledge when I was little. Right. Exactly. That's That's, interesting. That's what I was (laughs) Yes, I know. You said it in a much nicer way. However, it did occur to me, though, seeing her, too, was seeing the family, of course. It was mm-hmm. her mother and her. But fortunately, as she gets older and with with all these podcasts or video channels and other resources becoming available, that she at least will have a community to enter into if she would like to or not. I, I'm g- giving this very specifically to this one girl that I saw. But in general... <laughs> In general sense, uh, yeah, it's like in general sense too. It's uh, it's it's wonderful that those adoptees from China, or I feel like any adoptees actually who are around that age of 10, 11, 12, will have access to a lot of resources, not just specifically a Chinese adoptee, but like all types of adoptees and all types of resources that weren't there when I guess when we were younger, because there I don't think there really was. Yeah. No, not that I can remember. I mean, I'm not a good measuring stick for that because even if there had been, I would not have been the person to seek them out. I wrote this question down earlier um, and then I forgot to circle back to it. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you grapple with what I have been calling an authenticity problem? where Mm -hmm. you feel inauthentically Asian, but also inauthentically anything else? I would say that inauthentically Asian, yes. Mm -hmm. Because I grew up in US. I I grew up in the US, so yeah, technically I'm not really. I'm American, I always say that too in Mandarin to people it's like I'm I'm American mm-hmm. <laughs> I am American <laughs> but I'm also an orphan so there's that mm-hmm. in that sense yes I do feel inauthentically Asian in that case and doesn't really bother me I, it's just like it's part of what was dished out for us or me it was dished out for me and there's no sense in I feel like there's no sense in being upset or trying to fight that idea for me of like, mm-hmm. I need to prove that I'm authentically Asian. Heck no. <laughs> I just need to prove that I am who I am. I think yeah. on the other end of that question, I want to say that I was very inauthentic leading up to the age of 22. Okay. 25. Leading up to the age of 25. So I'm 27 now. Only in sure. the past two years have I truly felt that I've really become authentic with who I am as myself, the confidence that I've built and who I am. And also, because I think when you're being inauthentic to yourself, you are actually spending more energy in situations 
that are more detrimental to you in the long term versus when you are truly authentic to yourself, you realize a lot quicker the type of people that are should, or the type of people that you should value or that are valuable to you. Mm-hmm. And so in the sense of really being authentic in that, in the other side of it, of growth, emotional growth, human growth, yeah. the last two years, <laughs> I have felt like, okay, I'm not changing how I communicate to accommodate somebody beyond beyond a reasonable doubt sounds very legal but beyond what I personally would consider is like necessary yeah yeah that's that's so that resonates so hard with me I I am also 27 and uh I also feel like it's only within the past I would say two years that I have felt you know sort of like I've landed at my best self of, Mm -hmm. you know, who I want to be, who, who makes me happy, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I wonder, I mean, I, I feel like for me, it's sort of been a weird silver lining of COVID uh, that, well, okay. a, A silver lining of COVID that also, um, combined with the Black Lives Matter movement that really made me take a hard look at my identity. Mm. And in doing that, I feel like I have definitely now, you know, a year, two years later, arrived at like my favorite version of myself. Yeah, that's good. Not to, not to say, and I don't want to dissuade or well, not dissuade uh give the impression that it's not that there are times where I'm still in all that inauthentic because there are those moments that happens and it's usually because of other people mm. that I do still have those moments of inauthenticity that I it's like oh because I want to be I don't want to be alone that's yeah. really the true part of it and I was kind of thinking that as a support to what you were saying with the authenticity authenticity is I was gonna say my I think my true big I mean it's a cliche but it's true but I got fired from a job mm-hmm. before COVID hit actually the U.S. before COVID really hit the U.S. I should specify yeah. and that was sort of my that was my kick of something that you are doing is clearly causing you a lot of emotional stress and harm yeah and then COVID hit of course (laughs) yeah it's like uh and I think it's really tough to tackle that challenge of authenticity I think uh, at the true core of it to being authentic authentic will take a lot of discomfort too I want to say well said yeah. I definitely agree. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Well, I think that is actually a great segue to my last question, mm. which is, you know, you know, if you could tell young Tara one thing that 
current Tara has learned about the idea of self-love and acceptance and authenticity, maybe, uh, what would you tell her? Ooh, let's see. I think in true fashion, I would probably say something very harsh and blunt because yeah, that's not changed. <laughs> I would say those people who you feel are really valuable to you at the time, you may not even interact with or remember down the road just because it's, I feel like this is the other one too, just because it's family or somebody, you're not obligated. Just because yeah. it's not obligated. And that's in a yeah. general sense too, but just because it's family, you're not obligated. And the first comment, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I love that. I think, especially the second comment, um, you know, resonates with me because family seems like, I mean, okay, speaking of taboo things that are not, like, acceptable to say. The popular opinion. <laughs> yeah, I feel like family is often an excuse for, like, I don't know, bad behavior or not, like, demanding better treatment or respect or, like, silencing yourself if you believe something but you don't want to, like, you don't want drama I mean, it's the same with friendships. Definitely. Like friendships that you have built over a long time, maybe. I mean, those can end a lot. I feel like those are easier to sever those ties, obviously, than family. But friendship, yes. It's it's you built up this whole in relationships. I guess it's a relationships thing in general. Yeah. The ones that are formed over a longer period of time just because you form that relationship doesn't necessarily mean you need to accommodate just to make it, I don't know, better for that person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like make yourself yeah. smaller. In some right. Small. Yes, exactly. Like don't, that's yeah. Don't make yourself smaller to accommodate somebody else. Yeah. Because that's not healthy. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I definitely resonate with that thoroughly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with me and getting deep with a complete stranger. <laughs> um, I really appreciate your time and vulnerability and just openness in talking about adoption and the world and everything. So thank you so mm -hmm. much for being here. Thank you. It was really nice speaking with you as well. Awesome. All right, that is a wrap on my conversation with Tara. We will be back next week for another episode. So see you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted, Now What? Hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there.